Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people, wrote uh, the British Catholic author G.K. Chesterton. He's being a little bit humorous there, but it's funny because there's a kernel of truth in it. It's not uncommon for neighbors to disagree or have arguments. Um, it's not unheard of for there to be an acrimonious relationship uh, between neighbors. But even if we have a profoundly difficult neighbor, Jesus' message in our gospel today is unambiguous. If we're going to follow him, we must love our neighbors, even if they're our enemies. We see a, a powerful example of love of enemy, actually, in our first reading, when David finds his foe asleep and vulnerable. But before diving in, let's just get some background here. David is not yet king. Saul is king of Israel. And Saul, motivated by jealousy and fear, is seeking to kill David. Unjustly so. David, realizing his life in danger, flees. And Saul pursues with 3,000 of his soldiers. Looking for David to kill him. That brings us to our first reading. One night, David and Abishai sneak into Saul's camp and they stumble upon what some would call a golden opportunity. There is Saul, asleep and vulnerable. God has delivered your enemy into your grasp this day, Abishai says. Let me nail him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I will not need a second thrust. Many a man throughout history would have done just that. I mean, after all, Saul, the king of Israel, is throwing everything he has at ending David's life. Yet the son of Jesse restrains himself. Why? David explains, For who can lay hands on the Lord's anointed and remain unpunished? Despite his personal corruption, Saul was the Lord's anointed. He was the legitimate king of Israel. And David knew that to kill Saul would not just be an act of personal revenge, but it would also be an assault on this sacred office of the kingship and indirectly an assault on God's authority itself. David was not willing to assault God's authority or this sacred office. Why? Well, let's say what he's not doing. He is not... Uh, embracing the golden rule. Jesus' teaching on that matter was a thousand years away. No, instead, he restrains himself from taking Saul's life because he's trying to follow the foundational principle of morality. Do good and avoid evil. This is such a bedrock foundational principle that no reasonable person can disagree that we ought to do good and avoid evil. Now, of course, the challenge is, how do we judge exactly what is good and what is evil? And Jesus, in our gospel today, he teaches that the golden rule is the principle by which we can begin to judge the difference between good and evil, do to others as we would have them do to us. Later on, he formulates it as, love your neighbors as yourselves, 
Love your neighbor even if he is your enemy. And to love is to will the good of another. This means forgiving those who have trespassed against us. It means praying for those who persecute us. It means desiring even our enemy's eternal salvation. That's what it means to will the good of another. That being said, whenever we talk about the Christian notion of love to will the good of another, we inevitably run into one of our culture's most strident objections. Who are you to judge what is good for another? Often Jesus' own words will be cited back to us. Stop judging and you will not be judged. Often this verse is employed in an attempt to silence someone who's speaking on moral or religious topics. Now Jesus obviously said those words that are in our gospel today. But I would venture to say it's one of the most misunderstood and misapplied sentences in the Bible. When Jesus says, stop judging, whatever else he may mean, he can't be saying that we are prohibited from pointing out moral failures. Why do I say that with such confidence? Well, because Jesus pointed out moral failures all the time. I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel, and honestly tell me it contains no moral judgments. Or look at his interaction with the Pharisees and scribes. I mean, Jesus is the one who said to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! On the outside you appear righteous, but inside you are filled with hypocrisy and evil doing. Jesus called the spade a spade when it came to the moral life, even when his words offended people. Now still, somebody could object, okay, look, maybe Jesus did that, but you're not him, we're not him. That's true, fair enough. But Jesus not only didn't forbid his followers from teaching others about what is good and evil, he actively commanded it. Before the ascension, before he ascends to the Father, Jesus says to the apostles, go and make disciples of every nation. He tells them to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching others to observe all that Christ commanded would certainly imply, uh, involve pointing out what is good and what is evil, what is moral, and what is immoral. Or we could go to the letter of St. James, written by the Apostle James himself, who taught that whoever brings back a sinner from, the, from error will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You know, it's, Jesus did not, not only did he not forbid his followers from calling good and evil good and evil, he commanded them to do so. So if Jesus didn't mean with these words to prohibit us from speaking about morality, what did he mean? Well, in short, we can judge actions based on these principles, based on the commandments of Christ and divine revelation. We can judge this or that action as good or evil, but we can't judge people. We can't judge their souls, right? We can say adultery is gravely immoral. We cannot say adulterers are unequivocally wicked people. And the reason for this is we don't have all the facts of the case, so to speak. We see appearances, externals. We can't 
know what is in a person's heart, what is their motivation, what are the reasons, but God does, right? And God ultimately is the one who will judge us all. And really, Jesus' admonition to stop judging, it ought to remind us of this fact that one day we will stand before Christ as our judge. And the question is, what kind of judgment do we want? Do we want a merciful, compassionate, uh, forgiving judgment? I certainly do. Well, Jesus' words here remind us, then be merciful, compassionate, forgiving, loving to our neighbors, even to our enemies. Forgive and will be forgiven. In the end, when our Lord said stop judging, he never intended for his words to be used as a conversation stopper to shut down people who are proclaiming a moral truth. Nevertheless, he is saying that we need to leave the ultimate judgment of others to God instead of drawing our own conclusions based on appearances. As we continue with Mass, let us pray for the grace to love our neighbor too much to turn a blind eye to the evil of sin. Let us love even our enemy enough that we will his eternal salvation. Let us pray for the courage to proclaim the truth of the gospel, but to do so always with love and mercy.